In the last few years, there's been a movement afoot. We are facing a massive workforce crisis. From the White House to Congress to state houses across the country, there's this steady and growing drumbeat. What happens when you pay people to stay home? They stay home. Get those people back to work. It started before the pandemic, but it's only gotten stronger since. Politicians warning about the dangers of becoming dependent on government welfare programs, that they're making people lazy, not want to work. Fast food, as well as restaurants. Every single place needs more people. And these politicians say, to fix this problem, what all kinds of anti-poverty programs need, from food stamps to Medicaid to public housing, are more work requirements. Look for a job, get a job, all of that. Should be required to work. An obligation to work. Looking for a job, have a job, or be participating in a job training program. I actually think we should have work requirements. If we imposed work requirements on SNAP and on Medicaid, we would have the ability to save $1 trillion. It's the dignity of a hard day's work. Work requirements. Work requirements. Work requirements. It's time for all Americans to get off of welfare and get back to work. You're going to love it. Some are calling it Welfare Reform 2.0. But as politicians blame labor shortages and government deficits on so-called welfare dependency, behind the scenes, there's another thing going on. A group of million and billion dollar corporations that some argue have cultivated their own cycle of dependency on the federal government. Corporations that have built their business on welfare-to-work policies. Total company revenue for fiscal 2022 increased to $4.63 billion. Over the years, these companies have raked in hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars, funneling welfare recipients into all kinds of mandatory work, whether they've helped that person find a job that can support their family or not. And if you can wade through the blah, blah, blah of investor earnings calls, you'll notice that these companies are eagerly anticipating new policies that could bring new and tougher work requirements to even more welfare programs. If you think about what's being called Welfare Reform 2.0 and the movement to add work requirements, it's a competency that no other company in the market has, like Maximus. Government is one of your customers. Businesses are another. What about the welfare recipient? Are, are they? I think of them more as the product of our company. They're our inventory. So what happens when someone who's hit hard times turns to this privatized welfare-to-work system for help? They just see dollar signs. Oh, I'm, I'm a big dollar sign for them. Honestly, I kind of feel it was hell. I would go home and I would cry. It was very demeaning. It's like, um, how can I explain it? The way I feel sometimes, I feel like a hamster in a cage. Welcome to The Uncertain Hour a show from Marketplace about obscure policies, forgotten histories, and why America's like this. I'm Chrissy Clark. This season, the welfare-to-work industrial complex. We're going to look up close at the privatization of welfare, how companies are profiting off the work requirement policies we already have in some welfare programs, and how this policy of forced work is affecting people in all kinds of jobs everywhere. It's a political idea with a long, fraught history. We challenge the right of people to quit jobs at will and go on relief like spoiled children. And I won't mention the ethnic group involved, but... What's wrong with welfare now? There's too many people that can do the work. They stay home and sleep. 
This season on The Uncertain Hour, the welfare-to-work industrial complex. Who it profits, like really profits, who gets left behind, and where this system is headed. Episodes drop every Wednesday starting March 22nd. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Look yourself in the eye and with excitement and enthusiasm, say, I love my job because they pay me for working there.